Join us at The Hedge for a conversation about engineering, technology, and business. Well, hello, Alvaro. Welcome to The Hedge. Good to see you're here. Hey, Russ. How are you? (laughs) Fine, for whatever here means. And Stefan, you're joining us today from where exactly? Where are you? I'm currently in Paris, in France. Okay. I'm locked down like everyone else, but <laughs> I, have a, I have a large home, so it's not too big a problem. Oh, good, good, good. They're still letting us outdoors here, so <laughs> every, every couple of days I, or every, yeah, every other day or something, I go out and take a walk just to uh, keep myself from going crazy. So what we're talking about today is this really cool draft, uh, draft ITF deprived RFC seventeen uh, RFC seventy six twenty six bis, which is DNS privacy consideration. So let's just begin with why you started working on this, or what what problem you're trying to solve, or what you saw going on that caused you to start thinking about writing a bis for seventy six twenty six um, in DNS privacy. Um. First, I think it could be a good idea to go back to RFC 7626 uh, because okay. it was the beginning of the project. It was, uh, of course, just after the Snowden uh, revelation. And there have been a lot of discussion inside IETF about what we should do because basically the problem is that the DNS is the last remaining big protocol that is not encrypted. So uh, especially after Snowden, it seemed... A big problem and there was discussion uh, I remember a long discussion in the plane to the IETF meeting in to Vancouver uh, at the, when the plane arrived a good part of seven of RFC 7626 was uh, written uh, then we had a discussion then an, a formal meeting in London the first one and then uh, di- RFC 7626 went out. For the IETF, it was quite fast because uh, sometimes things take a long time at IETF. Uh, standardizing is difficult. Not everybody agrees. Uh, but in the end, it was done. And um, after 7626, which was the problem statement, description of uh, DNS privacy issues. There were also two drafts about solution. Basically, uh, to solve, to save privacy, you need to send less data, and this is RFC 7816, QNAME minimization, and you need to encrypt it, because uh, even if you send as as few data as you need, still people can look at it if you send it in the clear. So that was RFC 7858, DNS over TLS, which is now called DOT for DNS over TLS. But at this time, nobody said DOT. It was just uh, DNS over TLS. So that was a few years ago. It was partially implemented, deployed, and then there have been new discussion about privacy because privacy is like anything related to security. It's a permanent fight between the sword and the armor. When the sword gets better, the armor gets thicker and stronger. Then the sword also improve, etc., etc. So 
there have been some problems with the first RFC, uh, one being that uh, 7816 QD minimization is only an experimental draft. So there is currently an effort to turn it into a proper standard. And for RFC 7858 dot DNS over TLS, one of the problems is that it relies on a um, dedicated port 853, which can be blocked, often blocked, not explicitly, but simply because in many places, only ports 80 and 443, the ports used by HTTP, are available. This uh, has led to the another protocol starting with DO, DNS over something. It was DO, DNS over HTTPS, RFT, RFC 8888, which, uh, because it was uh, implemented and activated by default in Firefox, triggered a new set of discussion. Uh, and some people uh, thought that it would be a good idea to have a piece of RFC 7626, not to change it fundamentally, but to integrate all the things that we have learned uh, since. Because when RFC 7626 was published, there was zero implementation of solution. It was just a description of the problem. Now that solutions are widely deployed, we have a better understanding of the problem. So uh, Sarah Dickinson uh, was the leader for this project to turn uh, RFC 7626 into a new version. So one of the um, things that seem very complex to me with DNS is that there are so many components. You have the client, the, the uh, recursive um, servers, the authoritative servers. We have a lot of moving pieces. And uh, some of the solutions take a long time to be deployed. Or, as you said, can be blocked. Um, how does a user, for example, decide whether dot or do or any other thing is, is better for them? Um, so it seems that, that many of the solutions might be addressing some of the privacy concerns, but reading the draft, this new draft, uh, the concerns still remain. Uh, they haven't been completely solved. Is that correct? Well, you cannot completely, you, you can never completely solve the privacy problem because the only way would be not to communicate. As soon as you communicate, you send data. With In the digital world, everything is data. You take your smartphone and you turn it like this, and it is data because the movement can be recorded, detected by the phone, recorded, and sent to whoever knows. So privacy is never completely solved. We just decrease the amount of data that is sent. And even that is quite difficult because people, attackers, in the case of privacy, people who try to get data, even if they shouldn't, uh, get better and better. And they get information sometimes from place that you didn't think about at first. For instance, the TLS protocol, which is widely used in the internet to protect HTTP, SMTP, now DNS, TLS does not uh, obfuscate the size of the data. So, for instance, you can, if someone is visiting Wikipedia and you want to know which page they visited, you can get it from the size of the data retrieved because each page has a slightly different size. So, 
that's an example that the fight for privacy is never finished. You always have something new to address and some problem. And, and also, it's because privacy is just one of the things that we want in security, but we also want other things. For instance, we want a network which is manageable. Uh, so sometimes privacy can be at odd with other uh, security issues. So there is never, that, that's engineering. There is never a perfect solution. You just have to try to get the best compromise you can. And for the complication of DNS, you are right. It's also because it's partly our fault at the IETF. Unlike many other protocols like HTTP or SMTP, there never, never was a work to uh, describe DNS properly. The RFC that are the DNS standard are still the original one. Uh, unlike what happened for SMTP or HTTP, where some people decided to update the RFC and to have a modern description of the protocol, DNS is still described by many, many different RFC and sometimes without even a consistent terminology. Now it's done. We have now RFC describing the standard terminology, standard vocabulary of DNS, but it's quite recent. So let's go back to, to the beginning a little bit. In, um, in, in all the different pieces, the communication between a client and the local resolver, for example, what can users do if, if we're talking and trying to protect the privacy of the end user, uh, the person who is actually requesting a web page? Most users don't know that the DNS, DNS even exists, much less how it works, and much less what options I have to try and protect myself. What kinds of efforts do you see out there, or what can actually people do? That's a very complicated question, because it's not specific to the DNS or even to the privacy problem. Today, people rely a lot on the digital tools to do everything, especially when they are locked down on everything go through uh, computer networks and through computers. And most people don't really understand what's going on. So some, so computer networks are both something very important because every human activity uh, goes through them and also something which is not well understood by most people. So for instance, software developers every day has to take decisions should we do this or that? And they cannot ask the user because most of the time the user doesn't know. It, it would take a long time for the user to get to the level of knowledge of the developer. So it's better, of course, to inform the user, to train the user, that the user learn things. But the users will never know as much as uh, IETF participants or the software developers. So in practice, you have to take decisions and they're difficult. Just uh, for instance, think of the warnings for HTTPS when there is a problem with the certificate of the remote website, such as uh, expired certificate or certificate for the wrong name. There have been a lot of thinking of the test about what to say to the user in that case. And who should take the decision? Because if you ask a user, as it was done at the beginning, there is a problem with the certificate. Do you want to continue? Of course, the user says, yes, of course. I want to go to this website. <laughs> what a stupid question. Uh, so there is a tendency now to 
takes this choice away from the user. And most security people think it's a good idea not to let the user override the security problem. But on the other hand, it can make life of the users uh, more difficult. It can prevent them to do something. And also, it's a political problem if the user is not, cannot decide of what's going on. It's a very, very difficult issue. And uh, we see the same uh, today with the discussion about public health, what should be done, should we keep the lockdown, uh, what people should do or not do. It's very difficult because it's both very technical and we are not doctors, we, are, we don't know a lot about virus, but also we have a right to say something because it's our life. So it's the same thing with uh, computer networks. There is always, and there will always be a tussle between the need to empower the user and the fact that the user simply cannot understand everything because they simply don't have the time. Well, one of the effects that you mentioned of the draft that is a little bit worrisome sometimes is that just listen to the example of, of the health decision, for example. Well, what that means is that we now let say governments decide for us uh, and they of course may make good decisions or not so good decisions uh, the same way with for example choosing for a user what the recursive uh, resolver is going to be now in some cases that means that there's a, a, an effect of centralization of the decisions where we have maybe my service provider or the person who coded my browser makes decisions for me and there's a grouping or an agglomeration of the decisions on a, on a few companies on who's going to do the resolving, for example. Do you think that's an issue or? I think it's uh, an issue, but not the way you describe it because users never choose that. The resolver. In the typical case, you connect your machine to a network and you get through the DHCP protocol a DNS resolver to use and you use it. And as you said, people don't even know there is something as a DNS. And so users never were at a choice. Uh, if the choice is done, for instance, by the web browser instead of the DHCP server, it will be a shift in power between uh, from the network operator to the browser uh, vendor. But for the user, it will change nothing. I mean, I've heard in discussion people saying that the choice by Firefox to activate the DOH, DNS over HTTPS, is bad because it deprives the user of a choice. That's ridiculous. The user had no choice before either. So it, it doesn't, it, it changed between actors, but for the users, between uh, ac professional actors, but for the user, it changed nothing. Also, uh, personally, I'm a big fan of the user choice because I think that the user is not a stupid monkey that should be uh, uh, ordered by the government or by the ISP or by someone else to do this and that. He's a citizen. He or she is a citizen. And because, precisely because computer networks are so pervasive, so important everywhere, it's very important that the citizen is aware of the choice and can have a say. But on the other hand, as I said, it's very difficult to exercise this choice. For instance, by default, Firefox uses the door resolver of Cloudflare. Personally, I don't think it's a good choice. On the other hand, if you imagine, for instance, 1,000 
of possible resolvers. And then you present the user with a choice. Which one of these thousand resolvers do you prefer? It's obviously unrealistic. So there is no easy solution to this problem. At least we should recognize the tussle. Many people frame the problem as if it was as if it had a simple solution. It should be done this way or no other way. No, we should at least recognize there is a problem. We won't probably find the perfect solution, but at least we can recognize it. And then maybe it will help users to be better informed and to make a better choice and to f- maybe we will find a better solution. So one thing you mentioned really early on is this problem of DNS servers leaking information. Um, and I'm not sure everybody's going to understand that. So maybe it would be good just to explain a little bit what you mean with this concept of uh, a DNS server that leaks information in some way. Okay, let's take a simple example. You are at home on your computer and you want to visit, uh, I don't know, let's say the website of uh, Anonymous Alcoholics. Alcoholics Anonymous? Not, uh, well, something like that. It's something which is illegal, which is legal, perfectly okay. But of course, you probably don't want your neighbor or your boss or even <laughs> your spouse to know about it or your ISP, etc. So most of the people believe that the communication is only between you and the website of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. If you encrypt it, which is something that HTTPS the smaller green lock does, then the things they are okay. But before your browser can connect to the website, it has to find the IP address, which is done through the DNS protocol. Then the, your browser or your operating system send a request for which, what is the IP address of Alcoholics, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous? And this request can go very far away because it goes not only through the network of your internet access provider, but it can go to many different actors. Sometimes people, you don't even know they exist. For instance, if the domain name is .com, your request has a good chance of ending on the name servers of Verisign, which is a company that manage .com. And I get that most of the users of the internet know that .com exists, but how many know about Verisign? And how many know that it's a private US company, uh, publicly traded, which means that the main loyalty of Verisign goes to the um, shareholders, not to the users, especially because if you just query for .com, you don't pay anything. You just pay when you register a domain name, which means that Verisign has access to this information and you don't have a contract with them. And I I take the example of Verisign.com because .com is the biggest and best known uh, top-level domain. But of course, it's the same for everything else in the DNS. So this information is sent explicitly to people you've never heard about. You don't have a contract with them. You don't know in which jurisdiction they operate under which laws. And also, because it's traditionally sent in the clear, it can also be intercepted by many people. If you go to a cafe, not today because of the lockdown, but 
other than that, when you go to Starbucks and you visit a website, you may think that it is safe because the communication between your computer and the website is encrypted, but everyone in the same cafe can see the DNS request. And they can be quite revealing. Of course, if you visit Wikipedia, people will only people who get the DNS traffic will only know that you visited Wikipedia, which is not a big deal. But for some domains like um, alcoholicsanonymous.org or things like that, it can be much more revealing. Also, like it is always the case in privacy, it's not one item of information which is important. It's a complete pattern of your activity. If you visit Wikipedia, Gmail, uh, the website of the British government, etc. Each of them is quite normal, but there is. On, but when you have the complete pattern of the request, you can typically identify one person because only one person will get to this specific website. Even if a, each website is quite ordinary. In a particular order and et cetera as well. So it actually, there's a lot more they can do with understanding like who you are based on that information, essentially. Yeah, on some DNS requests, not all of them, but some are even more revealing because uh, they've because the DNS is very successful, it's a protocol that works very well, scale is fast, is uh, robust, etc. So there is a tendency to put more and more things in the DNS, on, which means more information for the people who spy on it. You talk a lot in this draft about unencrypted and encrypted transports um, and in the servers and resolver selection. Is there, like like Alvaro was saying, like what can you do as a DNS user to think through some of these things? Are there specific things in the draft that would be helpful to people to understanding like what they should or shouldn't be doing? Uh, that's difficult because DNS is uh, infrastructure. It's not visible by the user. People may care about... Uh, okay, I connect to Facebook, what Facebook does about my data. And this is something that has been widely discussed publicly. So probably most users of Facebook know that there is a privacy issue with Facebook. Typically, they don't know that about the DNS because it's hidden. It's like, like I also mentioned DHCP. DHCP is also a big privacy problem. But like DNS, most people don't know about DHCP and don't simply don't care. So for the user, it will be difficult because they have to know which resolver they use and what is the policy of this resolver. So for instance, each time there is a problem with the DNS resolvers of an access providers in France, people discuss on the public forum about it. And most of the time, the answer is simply, oh, you should put 8888 as a resolver or maybe 1111, the resolver of Google or Cloudflare, and it will solve your problem. And sometimes people are happy, yes, it solved the problem, but they didn't stop one minute to think about the privacy consequences of this. Uh, they are looking for a solution, they want a solution and quickly. Uh, same thing when people want to walk around censorship, for instance, uh, SciHub, a website to share a scientific knowledge is censored in France. So if you use a regular resolver of your access providers, typically you cannot get to it, which is especially annoying when there is a big pandemic going on. Uh, so people change the DNS resolver to be able to visit this site. But the, again, they want to solve an immediate problem. 
they don't think about the uh, long-term consequences of this choice. So again, I have no specific solution right now for the user except spend some time learning a lot of complicated things and trying to discuss it. Some users are ready to do this, but of course most are other things to do or better things to do. So we have an interesting open problem, how to make sure that people understand things about what's going on without becoming an expert, because of course the goal is not for everyone to be a computer network engineer. Again, it's not a problem which is completely specific to the internet and not even specific to the digital world. Our society is very complex. A lot of things, Uh, that happen to us depend on decisions which are taken far away from us that we don't understand. I mean, most people don't really understand how things are going on, except when there is a problem, uh, then we can identify who did this or that. But most of the time we are lost. And this is very interesting political problem for this century, how to be sure that people, citizens, how can we be sure that citizens have a a real say in the fabric of the society, even if it's too complicated for any individual to understand everything. So you said that uh, when you started 7626, the state of solutions was very different from now. Now we have DOT and DOE, and uh, you mentioned, I think, uh, QName reduction, for example. So it sounds like we are making progress in standardizing or, or deploying solutions to reduce the attack surface. Now, this surface seems to be very big. What are the pieces that you think are, are the next places that we should be looking at, that the community should be looking at, to close the gap a little bit more? Today, the more most urgent is deploying. We have the solution but they are not deployed. If you think about QNAME minimization, for instance, most resolvers don't do it, which means that they send the full name, even if it's useless. For instance, the the DNS root, the root servers, receive the complete name that you query for, even if they can only answer about top-level domain. So today, we have a solution, the RFC 7816 QNAME minimization is several years old, but it's it's implemented in all resolvers, but not always activated by default. So that's the first thing to do. For the uh, encryption, DNS over TLS or DNS over HTTPS, we still that don't have a complete deployment. For instance, Android, the Google operating system for smartphone, have a .DNS over TLS, but quite recently, and you know that between the time that Google commits code to Android and the time where it reaches the smartphone of everyone, it takes many, many years. So it's not done uh, yet. Uh, So this is, in my opinion, the most urgent. Then we could address future problems for which we don't have a proper solution, like, for instance, encrypting not only the link between the user machine and the resolver, but also from the resolver to the authoritative name servers, such as the one managed by uh, Nominate for .uk, Verisign for .com, Afnic for .fr, etc. For this, we don't have a standard yet. We are working on it in, at IETF, but it's not done yet. But in my opinion, it's less important. It's something that the IETF should continue, but the biggest 
issue now is deploying. It's a, a very general problem of uh, security on the internet. It's one thing that engineers design solutions, but they have to be deployed. And traditionally on the internet, it's very long and very difficult to deploy something. Uh, it's not specific to, um, uh, to DNS, uh, security of the routing system, the BGP protocol has the same problem. Deploying HTTPS massively for the web took also a long time. For uh, SMTP, the email, it's not done completely. For instant messaging, it took also a long time. Uh, now, most uh, instant messaging applications have end-to-end -end encryption, but it's quite recent. So deployment is a big uh, challenge. But it's not, a, it's not a work for the IETF. It's a work to be done afterwards. In some cases, for example, you mentioned routing security. Uh, some of the solutions there are not, in my opinion, what are going to solve the problem. So we need better solutions. In some cases, the incentives are not just placed in the right place, are not correctly defined. So it's hard politically. Uh, it sounds like in this case, for the DNS, the community, the DNS operators and, and et cetera, know that the solutions are going in the right direction. It's more of a matter of time and getting the work done. And as you said, getting, uh, pushing all this out to, to the actual users in the end. We're going to get there. It's just going to take time. Yes. That's uh, on during this time, the attackers, the people who want to spy on your DNS data, will improve too and will design better tools for instance, today with machine learning, you can uh, machine learning and big data and so on. You can find out much more things from what seemed to be a big mass of data. You can now make sense of it, and uh, these techniques uh, progress uh, quite fast. So it's uh, security and privacy among it is always a, a permanent race like the race of the Red Queen in uh, Alice in Wonderland, you have to run just to set at the same place. Any further thoughts you have on this draft, like uh, current work that's going on with this, things that people should be doing as a network administrator, for instance, not just individuals, but if I ran a network, if I ran a zoo today, what should I be doing about these things, like even an enterprise or something like that? <laughs> Typically, the management of the DNS resolver is done by the network operator. So if you work for an internet access provider or if you work for a university where you manage the network of the campus, you also manage the DNS resolver. So you can activate QNAME minimization. That's the first step to protect your users. Uh, you can also offer a uh, um, dot or door service for, especially for the people who are outside of the campus and want to access the resolver. And you can also plug as many holes as you can because DNS privacy is, of course, a small part only of privacy. When, for instance, there is a big um, weakness in the TLS protocol, which is the protocol behind HTTPS and many other, at uh, the name of the server that you try to contact is sent in the clear in, in the first message of TLS. It's called SNI, Server Name Indication, and it gives more or less the same information as the DNS. Unlike the DNS, it's only between the user machine and the server, so it does not go everywhere like the DNS request, but it's still a problem. At the beginning of the DNS privacy project, some people said that it's not, it, 
makes no sense to secure the DNS because SNI would leak this information. And the TLS people said there is no point in doing something with SNI because the information is in the DNS anyway. So <laughs> that's that. Today, we are better than that today. We recognize that we need, we have many privacy leaks, many holes in the, in, in the wall, and we have to plug them all. So uh, the TLS people are currently working on encryption of SNI, which is a hard problem. Uh, DNS people are working on their side of the problem. And the idea is to deprive the spice of as much information as we can. But of course, the technical part is only a part of the issue. We also need political solutions, law like the GDPR, etc. So uh, I don't claim that all the security and privacy problems will be solved only by the technical. But as an engineer, this is something I have to do. But for the citizen, the picture is much wider than that. I think this has been uh, very interesting, Stefan. Thank you so much. And uh, enlightening of all the information that we put out there, more than we actually thought uh, that, that we get out there in the wild. So thank you so much for being here. And Stefan, is there any place anybody can follow the work that you're doing in this area? Do you have a blog or Twitter or LinkedIn or anything like that? I have a blog uh, the, uh, which is only in French, or mostly in French, almost only in French. So but it's a good idea to learn French anyway. So it's www.botmeyer.org. Um, I'm also on Twitter as Botmeyer. So if you want really to follow the work on DNS privacy, you have to go to the IETF Depriv Working Group, which works mostly through a mailing list because it's a normal way IETF. We also have had physical meetings at the IETF, but the last one, which was planned in Vancouver, was cancelled because of uh, COVID-19. Um, next one will be in Madrid, and there's also, uh, I mean, I'm not sure that it will happen. So in the meantime, we work mostly on the, the mailing list, plus some virtual meetings uh, from time to time on the video conferencing system. But following an IETF working group can be hard. You have to read a lot of text to understand. You have to, uh, if you go suddenly to a working group, you have first to learn what was said in the last two or three years. So it's, uh, it's a real uh, involvement if you want to participate to the IETF. Many times it feels like you're trying to, to drink from a fire hose the first time you get involved in an IETF working group. But it's just a matter of deciding you want to do it and just continue to do it. Don't 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 give up immediately or even not immediately because it's just realize it's a lot. People have been working on this for years and you're just going to have to catch up. Thanks to Fon for coming on. I will put those links in the show notes when we publish this and uh, we'll catch you next time on The Hedge. Thank you for joining us. You can find The Hedge at rule11.tech.